Hi there, welcome to or welcome back to the Shift Control Podcast. My name is Paul McAmillan. Thanks for um, joining me. So, a lot of stuff been going on recently, and I'm going to try and um, put together um, an episode today that covers a few different issues. The first one being food, um, processed food, non-processed food. So, um, I've been kidding myself that I've been a vegetarian for about the last four years now. In the main, I'd, I haven't eaten red meat or white meat in, in that period. Um, I've eaten some fish occasionally, but um, I would occasionally take a little bit of cheese. Um, never haven't taken milk. Knowingly, haven't taken milk directly, but I've taken stuff like ice cream and all that sort of stuff. So um, you can see the flaw in my in my position as a, as a vegetarian. It's, let's say it's a flexitarian lifestyle. Um, so... All that time and, you know, the last three or four months, you've got a chance to reevaluate and review. And I'll be doing a fair bit of exercise three or four times a week out in the bike. Um, started to, like, swimming maybe once or twice a day and still carrying excess weight. So it's 30% exercise and 70% food, they say. So I decided to go to a nutritionist, somebody who specializes in a raw food diet. Um for those of you who don't know, like raw food diet has been made very, very popular recently, but it's been, it's not a fad. It's been there or thereabouts since the 1800s. Um, and it's like, a, it's almost veganism, but it's a diet that's mostly or completely made up of raw or unprocessed foods. And the key there is the processed and unprocessed foods. I'd be taking a lot of processed foods, you know, um, time poor kind of behavior so you come in and there's something from Marks and Spencer's that'll go in the microwave or you take a sandwich with the really well prepared salad and then two slices of white bread and all that sort of stuff so I went to see this lady who um, is pretty good at what she does she's brilliant at what she does um, and I had a couple of days a couple of um, days spent understanding food better reading and then going to actually try and prepare and cook food. Um, so the cooking of raw food is really, really easy. The only ingredient that I would struggle with is time and attitude. Two ingredients, time and attitude. So time is that you say you don't have time. It's a matter of prioritizing or bad prioritizing. You don't have time. You don't make time. Um, the default response is then to get stuff at the shop. Um so if it's really important to you, it kind of gets done. So it's becoming more and more important to me. Um, and the kind of attitude thing is that I can't do this, you know. So you get taught from an early age, or at least you convince yourself through um, whatever mechanism you have that you can't do this. It's not um, not your thing and all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, it's really quite easy. There's nothing complex about it. Um, so some of the stuff that I, I would have been responsible for making. So if you can get, visualize, when I said to you I was making food, visualize that um, I was shown how to prepare all the ingredients. I was shown how to um, cut uh, without taking a hand clean off myself. Um, what, you know, um, all the preparation stuff I was shown and then it was a matter of putting the ingredients together. So I made, um, I actually made some bread. I made some Persian baked bread which was really really nice um, it, was, it was actually lovely and then I made some Asian coleslaw I made some chai latte 
I made, you know, but actually doing it and going, out, going about it and getting the ingredients is a real start for me. So indulge me for a second of that. I also made a chocolate mousse and I made um, coconut and potato curry and a few other things. So it was all really good, you know. And then um, that was that week. And the week after, I was kind of back into old habits again. So, like, it really does take a lot of effort. And for those of you listening who are really good um, at cooking and would maybe consider yourselves to be chefs of some degree, you can probably laugh at this. But you do have to have a bit of a passion for it. Um, You do have to have a bit of um, competency in certain, certain skills that other people will take for granted, you know, like measuring sizes, all that sort of stuff is really easy, but I was making all that really co- complicated. So um, I now have a fairly decent set of scales. I've got all the measures. I've got a whole lot of different curries, uh, spices, and and I'm adding to that um, as we go along. But the, the, the ease with which that you can drift back into processed food is really easy. It's really, really easy. Like it, it only takes you two or three days learning how to to prepare food for you to get completely frustrated in the idea and sure do you know what I will go to a health food store and sure that food will be better in there because the sign above the door says health food and so it goes and so it goes or I'll just eat loads of fruit or I'll eat loads of vegetables but they're not organic um, so I'm, I'm on a bit of a learning curve with all of that but what I what I noticed is the idea of processed and non-processed so pr- processed means really that um it's been sped up in my head. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to read this off any expert, but in my head, processed means that the it's been done quicker, faster, more methodically, cheaper, um, timely. You know, whatever, whatever kind of um, cost saving benefit there is, that's what processed looks like. So if you were to sit down and try and make yourself um, a you know a bowl of soup every single day. And you didn't have the skill set, it would take you ages. Um, but you go down to the shop and you buy a tin of Campbell's face. Hi there, welcome the to or welcome back to the Shift world, Control Podcast. My name is Paul McAmillan. Thanks for um, joining me. So, a lot of stuff been going on recently, and I'm going to try and um, put together um, an episode today that covers a few different issues. The first one being food, um, processed food, non processed food. So, um, I've been kidding myself that I've been a vegetarian for the last four years now. In the main, I haven't eaten red meat or white meat in in that period. Um, I've eaten some fish occasionally, but um, I would occasionally take a little bit of cheese. Um, Never haven't taken milk. Knowingly, haven't taken milk directly, but I've taken stuff like ice cream and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you can see the flaw in my... In my position as a as a vegetarian, let's let's say it's a flexitarian lifestyle. Um, so all that time, and you know, the last three or four months, you've got a chance to reevaluate and review. And I'll be doing a fair bit of exercise three or four times a week out on the bike. Um, started to like swimming maybe once or twice a day, and still carrying excess weight so it's 30% exercise and 70% food they say so I decided to go to a nutritionist somebody who specializes in a raw food diet um, for those of you who don't know like raw food diet has been made very very popular recently but it's been it's not a fad 
it's been there or thereabouts since the 1800s um, and it's like a, it's almost veganism but it's a diet that's mostly or completely made up with raw or unprocessed foods and the key there is the processed and unprocessed foods I'd be taking a lot of processed foods you know um, time poor kind of behaviour so you come in and there's something from Marks and Spencer's that'll go in the microwave or you take a sandwich with the really well prepared salad and then two slices of white bread and all that sort of stuff so I went to see this lady who um, is pretty good at what she does she's brilliant at what she does um, and I had a couple of days a couple of um, days spent understanding food better reading and then going to actually try and prepare and cook food um, so the cooking of raw food is really really easy the only ingredient that I would struggle with is time and attitude two ingredients time and attitude so time is that you say you don't have time it's a matter of prioritizing or bad prioritizing you don't have time you don't make time um, the default response is then to get stuff at the shop um, so if it's really important to you it kind of gets done so it's becoming more and more important to me um, and the kind of attitude thing is that I can't do this you know so you get taught from an early age or at least you convince yourself through um, whatever mechanism you have that you can't do this it's not um, not your thing and all that sort of stuff but ultimately it's really quite easy there's nothing complex about it um, so some of the stuff that I, I would have been responsible for making so if you can get visualise when I said to you I was making food visualise that um, I was shown how to prepare all the ingredients I was shown how to um, cut uh, without taking a 50p can of processed soup does the job um, there isn't really an instruction manual on the side of the can to tell you that you know you can make one of these at home it will maybe take you half an hour in fact if you're prepared on a Monday night you could have made a whole bunch of soups and um, it wouldn't take you any time at all also the idea of processed means that there's, there's acceler accelerants put in things put in for preservatives things put in to keep the taste there things in there to enhance the taste things in there to make the taste maybe addictive who knows that's not to say that 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 is the case but it's not to say that that's not the case either and your 50p can of soup gives you all the vegetables that were prepared two or three months ago plus all this chemical um, chemical agents mixed together to make the soup palatable when you boil it as I would have done or you hate it um, at that time the idea of processed is really in my head the the skills taken by somebody else to do what you really couldn't be arsed to do if that makes sense or didn't have time to or didn't have the skill set or whatever and whenever you're going to speak to nutritionists or you're speaking to dietitians or you're going to your gym uh, the big focus is that 30% of your time should be on your fitness and your weight programs and 70% of the time should be taken to uh, focus on what you eat, when you eat and how you eat. So the stuff that I made, I was really pleased with. Genuinely was really pleased with the coleslaw. Was 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 really nice. Like there was an Asian fusion dressing to go with essentially carrot and cabbage Um so I'm not really going to get into into this in great detail and bore you with it. 
But there's a certain thing about the idea of processed food um, that I want to talk about in the context of well-being beyond just physical well-being into mental well-being into um, you know mental health and so on and so forth just as a as a as an idea and I'm, I'm not really um, I'm just putting this out here for a, a bit of curiosity to see uh, what other people think because one of the things that I found is that in the last three months when you get time to think about things and how the lifestyle that you find yourself in and you're doing things in a certain way because that's the way um, it seems logical to you the the idea of putting on a mask right now and going into the shops is really really uh, strange to loads of people it may just be that putting on a mask is the only way you're going to get into these shops in two months time so you find yourself doing these things that become habitual um, and processed through a repetition and through not stopping to ask the questions so I, I did my course and I was very very um, pleased that I'd done it because it opened my eyes but I was starting to question the food that I was eating and more important the coach was actually asking me questions about food consumption times behaviors so on and so forth uh, like one of the things for example is that you know I'd get um, a lag in energy sometimes a spike in energy and lag in energy and it's not always the same times but there are occasions where I've been really, really sluggish during the week and that can be attributed to eating late at night when your body and your digestive system has to work really hard to try and digest stuff that it really shouldn't be eating in the first place or it shouldn't be eating at that time of day. So all the energy in the body is pushed away from other areas into something that you is a normal body function and you find yourself not being able to sleep because the body is churning so all this energy just to try and digest food and you've got a lot of food in your stomach before you go to bed. All these things are quite uh, interesting. They're like sort of did you know facts in isolation, but you put them all together, it paints a picture about how you can live a better life by just eating properly at different times, okay? So I, I have a real bugbear of um, media and media consumption that I've talked about before and I don't really want to retread old ground but what I found in the last couple of weeks I found myself getting drawn back into reading newspapers again um, re reading newspapers um, when I'm not in control okay so reading news content let's not call it uh, newspapers let's call it news content where I had three or four different apps on my phone where those apps would have included BBC, Guardian and maybe some sport apps chasing up about um, football like no business stuff at all because I don't really have that much interest in business I'm not I'm not really interested in stocks and shares although that should change so I, I've got all this content coming at me and then I found myself driving the other morning and had a meeting at half nine um, I was on the road for about an hour and a half and I normally put on a book or a podcast but I got stuck into the old chat show at nine o'clock thing I'm not going to mention the name of the show because it's it's like um it feels, just feels dirty mentioning the word so the whole idea of processed food not been good for you and all these accelerants and additives and shortcuts been taken to provide you with something that you can digest really at the 
request or the behest of the producer of the content, not you. So you're not in control of the digestion process at all. The person has put it in the tins. You're assuming that because it says Heinz or Campbell's or one of these big brand names on the side, so it must be good for me because these guys haven't let anybody down in the last, geez, 100 years. They've been going, Kellogg's, they've been going for years. Like, they must be okay. So you make the assumption you got this trust in the brand and you ate it and all that sort of stuff. And it is no different with the media. And I find myself been really disappointed in myself for listening to these programs. And the ease with which you get sucked back in to media is frightening. The explosion in Beirut, because there was kind of audio-visual and it was just real-time almost, you were watching this, or you were able to watch all this stuff, was just horrific. So I was kind of sucked into that, and then I found myself uh, looking at different news sources, and before you know it, you're back in, and it's really addictive. Like, you know, it is really, really addictive. News the way it's been produced and provided to us is, is there's no doubt that it's really addictive and you could start maybe seeing this kind of, the, the synergies that I'm seeing between processed food and processed media but I'll come back to come back to that in a second I had been listening to Joe Rogan's podcast that I found quite interesting since he got his big Spotify deal I hadn't really listened to him before that I just wanted to check what the big deal was and the deal is pretty big he's got, he's got a really good um a good platform. He's got a lot of people listening to him, and he can be relatively um, controversial and, I suppose, challenging. But I listened to one of the, uh, the Joe Rogan Experience episode one five zero four with Alan Levin- Levinovitz. He's an author. He's a doctor. He's written a book um, called uh, "The Seductive Myth of Nature's Goodness," and the podcast is deadly. It's really, really interesting and. Um, one of the, I'm going to play a little clip. Right, and so now we live in a world in which extremely cheap, highly palatable, and very accessible food is everywhere. No wonder we have a problem with our diets. And that's exactly what's happening with information right now. So I, as, as I understand it, the way in which Twitter was designed, for example, they consulted with people who wanted to figure out how to keep you compulsively coming back. So like slot machines, right? They consulted with people who built slot machines to figure out, okay, what pe- what keeps people pulling the lever, right? So they could just have it refresh. You just have your tweets at the top, but instead there's a little alert button, right? You pull down, there's a little noise, like, or whatever the noise is when you, mm-hmm. when you pull down on it, you know? And so they've made it compulsive. They've made it highly palatable. Right? You want to you keep coming back. And the thing is, the difference between ultra-processed information and ultra-processed food is that I think we're, we're, we're the companies now. We're the companies now. We're the audience. We're the editors. We're the producers. We are voice reason. We're the voice of the irrational voice, whatever you want to say. And that's really scary. Come back to the context of food production for me to get you to eat the food that I cooked the other day I definitely would have had to put something that's fairly addictive in it um, eventually it would get to the point that I would be a fairly decent cook and I'd be happy to give you my food but I'd charge you a load of money for it because it took me a load of time that's just the, the way things work um, so we're now consuming self-created media like it's fact-based like we follow people 
because we believe that they um, must know because they've got a blue tick and a whole bunch of followers. Um, but th- like this is nothing new, all right? So like the newspapers and newspapers would have had headlines um, to target the family with fear. Fear and the family were the two big. Um, if you could, if you could get uh, a headline that showed a, a Muslim immigrant selling heroin on the corner of your street and you happen to live in the home counties, that's going to sell newspapers. So there's a whole lot of you know the there's a whole lot of those triggers and there's a whole lot of those gambling triggers. But you imagine Twitter and um, Facebook and all those guys um, checking out. Um, the synergies between ga- gambling, like g- gambling, um, is like a real problem for for a lot of people. Um, called mental mental health problems, domestic abuse, um, you name it. It's a root cause for a whole bunch of stuff. There's a problem with the Premier League and the SPL in Scotland, where so many um, clubs have got um, shirt sponsorship from gambling companies. So I went and did a bit of googling um, after I listened to. Levinovich and, and Rogan talking about that. Um, and then you have, look at, you're looking at The Guardian, right? So that's my go-to. Social media copies gambling methods to create psychological cravings. To create psychological cravings, okay? So processed food. Like, who hasn't opened a packet of Pringles and gone, fuck me, where's the next packet? Who hasn't done that? So you've got these social media um, companies who are... Mimicking those people who create experience for users that's no different to cocaine. Um, Social media platforms are using the same techniques as gambling firms to create psychological dependencies and ingrain their products in the lives of their users, experts warned two years ago in The Guardian. These methods are so effective that they can activate similar mechanisms as cocaine in the brain, creating psychological cravings and even evoke phantom calls and notifications or users sense the buzz of a smartphone even when it isn't really there. So I'm going to tell you another story here about a friend of mine. I went to school with this guy. Um, he's going to remain nameless. He'll not be listening to this, but um, I want to give him the anonymity that he deserves. Brilliant footballer, uh, brilliant Gaelic player, incredible soccer player, um, really good lad, funny, was able to take time out um, with everybody. And, you know, people kind of looked up to him without revering him, but he, he had a place in like the pantheon of greats in our school. He was a good lad and he was excelling at everything. But the whole, the veneer and the that exterior disguised a serious gambling problem that I wasn't aware of. And I ended up um, being detached from his company for about 15 years, met him over in London. And he told me the story about how he used to get Christmas presents from his parents and he would go take the presents back to the shops and he would just say like he didn't want them or he would pull threads in the sweaters he bought take them back and get the money and go straight into betting shop and gamble everything he lost everything several times and um i don't i don't know like a, anybody else who's who's got a real gambling problem i know people who have gambled a lot won a lot um i have friends people i know who gamble on horses a big thing back in the place that i was brought up where boys would gamble on horses. Um, they used to say it's only a couple of days a week, but it, like, it was it's kind of a full-time experience for them. Um, like this this thing about uh, designed addiction, you know? 
this is what this is what like processed food is 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 done and so is created in such a way that you're going to keep on eating it. Like it's not the taste is not rank, so you don't eat it again. So I'm not saying there's anything um, like addictive in in that, but the idea that stuff is processed in a certain way to keep you doing things in a processed fashion. Um, you know, um, there's a lady called Natasha Schul who written a book called The Addiction of Design. I'm going to read this. I haven't read the book. Reported how slot machines and other systems are designed to lock users into a cycle of addiction. In the online economy, revenue is a function of continuous consumer attention, which is measured in clicks and time spent. So just bearing that in mind, I'm going to re- refer back to the Joe Rogan podcast. And I'm going to play you something else. In the way that, that information becomes highly palatable, it's going to be oversimplified. Right. It's going to have heroes and villains. It's going to, have a, it's going to demonize someone. And it's going to be something that gives you a sense of belonging. Those are the three things I think that make information highly processed and highly palatable. We want a hit of information that's easy to understand, that demonizes someone, and that gives us a sense of belonging. And that's just like exploiting what humans want, right? You're saying, you know, we're creatures that want to love each other. We want to belong, right? It's just the same way we want to taste salt, sugar, and fat. So just to recap, information, um, highly processed, oversimplified, there are heroes and villains involved. Someone or some people or somebody gets very gets demonized, but ultimately it's all done for a sense of belonging. Now, I wonder what radio stroke TV program that you could say is oversimplified, creates heroes and villains, demonizes a thought, a belief, a person or people, but ultimately works to the sense of belonging that the audience might have. So that's kind of the whole idea. And, you know, I probably get maybe more agitated about this, but this is really, really important. The, the, the news is particularly important. We tend to forget that, you know. Um, it has a value in society that maybe isn't as sacrosanct as the value it used to have in society, but it has a value that's particularly important to uh, us as a North Star, as guiding, uh, as guiding us. Now, th- th- that's a lot, a lot of that, that. You know, a lot of that has changed. Um, you know, the, the sometimes I think the content is really, really shallow. Um, the depth of questions are shallow, and therefore the answers are going to be shallow too. You know. Um, you do know that in most um, democracies, as we call them, there are those interest groups um, that will have control in some way of the media. There are also those people who say the media is the bastion of white Anglo-Saxon Protestant elderly men. Um, that may be true as well. A, but some of the facts, really, that we need to consider as well is um, the ubiquity is one thing, but who decides what's important? Or newsworthy. Who really decides for us? So, in the old old school, it would have been the editors and the owners of the newspaper groups, and now we're deciding. Like, I'm not a chef. I don't have the ability to cook food for a lot of people, but I can sit on here and I can tell you for a pint of Guinness how class my food is and that I went and got lessons and I've got all the kit now and I cooked last week and sure it was great. And we are following these people on social media um, who've got blue stripes. And all of a sudden, we're following them because either they're, we find their content contentious or we find it right in our own sweet spot. So instead of us going out 
and buying some fresh plum tomatoes because that would mean we have to maybe drive 10 mile away 15 or 20 mile away to the fresh vegetable stall and maybe get some fresh basil and get some nice uh, oils and um, maybe some coriander and then get some flour to get some lovely bread and you know maybe it's Persian bread you're going to make so you want some uh, of the spices and a bit of um, beer and all that sort of stuff instead of doing that you pop down to your newsagent and you grab a tin of soup and you grab some pot pan or whatever it is and the Irish news and away you go and you think that's dead on you think that's just everything's okay and you get into that routine and you can't be told that it's not um, that you, you can't have, a, have an eating disorder you're not obese you're looking you're walking every day and blah 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 and so the synergies between the, the processed food and the processed information and the responsibility so ultimately I think the responsibility boils down to yourself um, it's the, whenever the internet first kicked off people were talking about push versus pull and that's all great you know but if you look at anything that the newspapers are leading with they don't lead with good news Nothing is there designed to make you feel good, it's to make you feel anxious, to make you feel uh, worried, to make you feel agitated, to make you feel under threat. So like, that's not a nice human um, set of human behaviours that's been thrown at us day in, day out. And this is kind of for the point I want to make in the podcast, really, um, is that... We're, we're, I did a business plan last week for a client and the old SWOT analysis came up on three different divisions we were talking about um, one of the biggest threats to their business and this is a company that's moving into a new premises and this is a company that's like on the cusp of something brilliant and they're over the last three years they've grown and grown and grown and they're doing it exceptionally well and one of the threats I said to their business was mental health because of this um, the curiosity value of working from home will eventually have faded away and when it comes down into the dark winters of people having to work from home or the, whether it's choice or flexibility what we've just had to come through and it's not over yet has been really really challenging on our mental well-being and um, on top of that processed information that's just coming from really really malevolent news sources but I'm including PR agencies and that I'm, like, people are punting out press releases to try and give some of their clients competitive advantage like, that's just pumping lies out you know um, but we don't have time to, to sit down and actually harvest the right information that suits us so we're tin of soup and bread that's what we're doing and in the same way that too much tin soup and white bread isn't good for you, the same way that this media that you consume is definitely not good for you. And I find myself getting back into it again. I was kind of proud of the fact that I had bought hard copies of hard copies. I bought newspapers again, you know. I felt kind of proud of that. You have to go back to the beginning again and you have to decide why is the news important? And the news is important because there is stuff that we do need to know whether we choose, to, we choose to like that or not. There is stuff that we kind of find ourselves knowing more of that isn't really that important. So the celebrity culture and you know, gossip and football results even, you know, football is really important as, a, as part of our social fabric. But, you know, stats and who scored what and why and everything else is just the minutiae and the granular detail that's uh, I think is a human distraction. There are other things that we should be more focused on in my very humble opinion. Um, I'm going to play a little clip from an interview that Alan de Bouton had 
when he was publicising his book, News, um, it's like a handbook for the news. And I, I want to play a little clip of an interview from 2014. Let's be hopeful. We do live in a free society. Um, there's a lot of spare capital around. There's a lot of ingenious people. What we've got to crack now for the news is how do you make progressive news, in other words, news that's on the side of good things, like truth, justice, beauty, kindness, compassion, all the things that you and I believe in, right? I'm imagining. Um, uh, how can we give those things weight in the world? How can we make sure that the news isn't just always about, you know, the hopeless, uh, the violent, uh, without any possibility of redemption, um, the celebrity stories don't lead anywhere. I'm a real fan of celebrity. I think the concept of celebrity is a really important one. Societies need celebrities, but is it always got to be Kim Kardashian and, it, and always for those things that she does? Or could there be other ways of respecting people, of holding up people to public esteem? Because that's what celebrity is. It does make you wonder about that old idiom that, you know, um, bad news sells newspapers if it if it bleeds it leads that kind of mentality and I question media and news content now more than ever before sometimes would find myself borderline conspiracy theorist and um, that doesn't bother me to be honest and um, what bothers me is the incessant noise and white noise and misinformation that's been typified by the 45th president of the United States who can just chat shit all day and is not been held to account, but there are a percentage um, of the voting American public, or there is a percentage of the voting American public that just, yeah, I'm going to vote for this guy. And we're creating something very, very malevolent, and if we're not careful, um, well, who knows where, where it will go. The idea that back in the wee world, the north of Ireland here, you're driving around and you're listening to the that show at nine o'clock or you're listening to the news and, you know, who's deciding what's really important? These news outlets don't have the same journalists that they used to have. So they've got teams of researchers who maybe people with media studies degrees coming out of college and they're just, you know, they're trying to impress and they're doing all the right things and then they find that what they need has to be done quickly. So they go back to you know, really, really tired media commentators, people from agencies who get on and get their clients on for a soundbite that changes that business's world really quickly because they get exposure and brand and name awareness and maybe a call to action in the middle of it all. But ultimately we're left sitting going, you know, is that it? Is that all there is? And there is more than that. It just takes a little bit of time and effort for you to find the content that suits your, your, your makeup, your DNA, and that can help with your your emotional and mental well-being. Um, because if you continue to listen to media unchallenged and don't question it, then your thinking is processed. And if your thinking is processed, then it kind of defeats the whole object of being. I use the example of Moy Park chickens. Um, 33 days later, like they're on somebody's table and then the whole thing starts again. And it's production line. And it happens again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And it's not just the chickens or the ones that are losing out. Thanks for listening this far. If you're still there, I appreciate your, your company. This is uh, a slight departure from other podcasts insofar as um, 
I think it's important enough to get a message across about your emotional, mental uh, well-being. There's um, as part of that nutrition um, kind of uh, raw food cooking course that I was on. Um, I got a duke at the Wheel of Life again, which is I haven't seen one of those for I don't know maybe about three or four years, but my God, I've seen a lot of them. And um, for those of you who haven't seen them, um, yeah, give me a shout um, and I can talk you through it. But it's essentially it's like a wheel, um, and you have seven spokes in the wheel: physical, family, mental, financial, spiritual, career, and personal. And you score yourself one to ten, and it's all about getting some kind of balance. And I'm using this because it's very basic, and I've seen it, you know, years ago. It it, it still has a bit of credibility, you know. Um, it's not like a disc test, or it's not a enneagram, or it's not like uh, Myers Briggs. But it gets somebody to be reflective, and if that's all it does, then that's achieving something. So you score yourself one to ten. One being absolutely bad. To 10 being probably telling lies, it's that good. So, for example, how's your family relationships? How's your mental well-being? How's your financial world looking? What about your spiritual plane, career? How's it going, your personal life, and then your physical stuff? So you try and do some of that, and then you see there are certain things that will sit center to all of this, and they'll run across the seven different axes, okay? And I think uh, how you're brought up will influence it, and your media consumption will influence it and the people around you that you look for as role models will influence it. So you can see the importance of media in our lives um, and for me it's always important to just check in and take a reality check and see um, where you are and maybe maybe a little bit more questioning and curiosity and interrogating than just acceptance um, is the way forward. So thanks very much for listening. Um, I got a couple of guests coming up over the next couple of episodes, and there's a, there's a one podcast that I'm going to break later on this week um, with a guy called uh, Kevin Young. I've known Kevin for a few a few years now. I've done some um, work with him um, in relation to well-being, and um, he's a professional coach. He's a spiritual guide. He's a whole lot of different things going on. And he's um, very interesting. He's a musician. There's a whole lot of stuff that he's uh, probably going to enlighten you with in the next episode, which will be uh, recorded later on this week. So anyway, if you need to find more information about me, I'm on www.shift-control.co.uk. My, I've got an Instagram account, which is shift-control66, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. And I'm trying desperately to stay away from all the other ones. So listen, thanks very much and I'll I'll get talking to you soon.